Set Phasers, a highly illogical Star Trek podcast. Happy Friday to you. You are you, Steph, and also everyone else. Well, happy Friday. <laughs> yes. Um, Aki and I, just before we went live, noticed that we were wearing very similar shirts. So I decided to put a little bow tie on to match. Um, so we're, we are prime and mirror at the same time in terms of Star Trek Discovery universes. Bravo. Aren't we nerdy? Very to uh, some would say too nerdy. <laughs> uh, to a James okay. T. To a Jill. Oh, hello. I Kirk. went there. You did. Tiberius. <laughs> All right. If you're still listening, this is uh, Set Phasers, <laughs> a highly illogical Star Trek podcast. Uh, today's uh, star date is two one zero zero nine point eight, and we will be discussing seasons two, season two, episodes eleven and twelve. Perpetual Infinity and uh, Through the Valley of Shadows, respectively. Let's run it down. Let's run it down. It's time to run it down. Can you run it down for me? What just happened? Can you run it down for me? Run it down, Aki. We're so close to the end. We should do the running man at home anytime the run it down song happens. (laughs) I'm sitting, so I'm doing the sitting man. All right, running it down. Perpetual infinity. Well, things are getting very hairy, so hold on to your butts. Uh, First off, remember that at the end of the last episode, we finally got a look at who was inside the red angel suit once they were trapped inside the gravimetric loosets and... It's a woman, and then Michael looks at the woman, and she says, Mom, end of episode. Okay, so that's the cliffhanger. We start episode 11, and it's a flashback. It's the woman we saw, who's Michael's mom, and she's talking. She's studying the supernova, and she's like, ah, the supernova's about to go supernova, or whatever. And she's like, ah, yes, the power will be amazing. She's in her lab being all labby, and she's like, ah, we should be able to test our first jump soon based on this power outreading. And then you hear young Michael calling from the kitchen. She says, dinner's ready. And um, uh, Michael, uh, they're like sitting down for dinner, and it's Michael, it's her dad, and it's her mom, and they're talking about the Nova, and they're, it's all, it's a lovely domestic picture. And then Michael says, oh, is the star going Nova already? And they're like, oh, no. And she's like, well, because I see a new light. And they're like, what? And they're like, can't be the supernova. She's like, okay, well, it's landing. As we may recall, Michael lost her parents when Klingons attacked Doctari Alpha? Is that the name of the planet? Uh Uh-oh. Look who forgot. It's a Doctari. It's in the Doctari system. And uh, so uh, they're like, oh, they locked down the lab and her dad pulls out a phaser and he gets behind a wall and he's like protect michael and michael's put into a closet by her mom and she says stay here and don't make a sound and be brave and gives her a teddy bear and then (gasps) adult michael wakes up yes (gasps) um 
in sickbay. And um, she was apparently dead from the radiation and asphyxiation for over one minute um, before she came to. And so she's sort of being repaired. She needs to rest and relax while she gets rid of the tachyon radiation. She's been out for five hours. She's surrounded by, I think it's Hugh Colbert, it's Giorgio and Pike. And Spock comes in. And Michael's sort of in disbelief that it's her mother. She's like, no, no, I must have had this crazy dream that it was my mother in the suit. And they're like, oh, no, it was your mom. It was your mom. She's unconscious right now. And uh, I don't know. Deal with that, Michael. And Michael's not taking it super well. But Spock says, hey, Tilly examined the exoskeleton. And she pulled out uh, uh, um, 841 log entries from the suit. And they want Michael to go through the log entries because it's going to be a while before her mother regains consciousness. So that's what's happening on Disco. Meanwhile, on the Section 31 ship, so the last time we heard from Leland, his voice was telling Tyler to uh, do to launch the hoodads, right? But the last time we saw him a second before we heard his voice, he was looking into like a weird periscope thing and he was trying to get uh, like command authorization so that he could get more power, like break the safety things. And then a needle came out, jabbed him in the eye and he fell back. So what? Uh, so now we see Leland on the section 31 chip. He is strapped to like a standing gurney and he is uh, talking to, um, well, he's talking to a hologram and the hologram is control the computer, the supercomputer that is supposed to help Starfleet assess situations and, and advise, but it's the one that like took over the ship and, and tried to kill Discovery a couple episodes ago. All right. Control's like, hey, I can imitate anyone using this holographic technology now that I'm like a super duper AI and it's unrecognizable uh, as a message. So all your subspace messages, I can impersonate anyone, but I need to be in the physical world. And controls like, I need a body. She says, and she, because at the time it's Michael, but it's control, uh, says Leland exhibits a, a pattern of behavior where Leland is able to do things without the, the weight of human guilt, essentially. And controls like changing into different people and eventually becomes Saru. And each time it changes, it's like the spitting image of the person, but a hologram. And then Control's like, I just, I need a body. And Leland's like, you, blah, 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 define or whatever. And then from behind him, a drone comes up and they inject something into the back of his head and he screams. And that's where we go to the credits. It's bonkers, okay? So whatever, something weird is going on. Meanwhile, um, Michael's going through the logs and she's seeing see her mother's last moments. They're not what we envisioned her mother like gets michael in the closet and then she runs into the lab and she's putting on the suit and her plan is to do a jump in this experimental suit that they haven't tested yet she's going to jump back one hour so that she can warn michael and her past self and michael's father the klingons are coming she jumps in there she jumps back in the suit and she assesses her she's like floating in space and it turns out she jumped 950 years into the future What? And so her mother is now, we're seeing through the logs, various times is trying to get to Michael, but she's unable to stay there. She keeps getting pulled back by some sort of uh, temporal tether because that's how the technology works. She keeps getting pulled back to 950 years in the future. And she's also seeing that all sentient species in the galaxy are dead at that point. 
okay, so we go to the bridge. Tilly, meanwhile, is picking up a gravimetric surge coming from the surface where they have Michael's mom now out of the suit in the thing. And apparently time is trying to pull her back. And so exponentially, the gravimetric pressures or temporal, whatever, is trying to pull her back to 950 years ago. And they're trying to keep her there. And so they're boosting all the power that they can. But Disco is only going to be able to hold out for maybe one or two hours. So they need to wake up Michael's mom, the Red Angel, and um, they need to speak to her as soon as possible. Meanwhile, Leland just shows up on the ship, the the bridge of the Section 31 ship, and he's talking to Tyler and Giorgio, and he's like, what's the deal with Michael's mother? He's like, I saw her corpse on Daktari Alpha. I was right, Daktari Alpha. And he's saying that whoever that is, that's not her. Um, that is, it could be anyone, and I suspect their motives, and we can't let um, th- her uh, get the data from from uh, the sphere, which is the, the giant sphere that had all that information from 100,000 years of living that gave it to Disco, okay? So, he says Section 31 is going to need to steal the sphere data from Disco in order to prevent it going to whoever the Red Angel is, he wants Tyler to go over and there's like a little like encrypted thing that's going to be able to download all the information if it gets near the like place where the information is stored and he can do it and steal it and then come back. And then I guess basically their idea is to destroy Disco. It's never really mentioned how they're, how they're going to deal with that. So Tyler leaves to do it, even though he's conflicted about that mission. And Giorgio, meanwhile, is kind of looking at Leland, like wondering about his new uh, sort of super confident demeanor. Meanwhile, on the so we've also learned Michael's mother's name in yes. this conversation. Her name is Dr. Gabrielle Burnham. Uh, heretofore, I shall refer to her as Dr. Gabrielle Burnham, the Red Angel, or Dr. G, because that's the easiest way, because it's going to get very confusing very fast. So, meanwhile, we're looking through Dr. G's uh, logs with Michael. She apparently made a base on an M-class planet 50,000 light years from Earth, which is that planet that we went to visit in like five or six episodes ago, Terralysium. Uh, and the suit will, she said it to always take her there. So if she's going to go 950 years into the future, she will end up on Terralysium. Right? There's no pre-existing tech on the planet, so Control won't be able to find her there. And her goal is to stop Control from killing everyone. And so she's the one who engineered getting the sphere into Disco's path so that Disco could get the information from the sphere before it dies in the hopes that Disco could destroy the information and stop control from happening. While Michael's going through that, Spock shows up and he's like, hey, your mom's about to regain consciousness and she wants to talk, but she don't want to talk to you. She only wants to talk to Pike. And so Mike is upset. Michael is upset. And she goes to tell Pike and Spock, you should let me talk to my mother as I'm involved in this. And Pike's like, no, you can't get down there. If she doesn't want to speak to you, we can't let her speak to you. And Culber sort of agrees. He's like, we don't know what the situation is here. Uh, so Pike has ordered Michael to stay aboard while he goes to talk to Dr. G. He goes down to the surface. And Dr. G is sort of like, yeah, I'm from the future and I know a lot of stuff and your future is not super great, but I'm not going to tell you anymore. And uh, Pike is like, so tell us about these seven signals. What's the deal? You know, this is the inciting incident for the whole season. These seven red signals. And uh, Dr. G is like, I don't know anything about no red signals. That's confusing. Uh, she says, basically, she's here to stop control from killing everything in the galaxy. And she says, what Disco has to do is destroy the entire Sphere Archive immediately. And they need to release her. 
And Pike is sort of like saying, you can't do that. And she's like, well, listen, until you do what I ask you to do, this conversation is over. We, mm-hmm. well, I'm here for one purpose and one purpose only. She has a great little speech where she calls him a ghost, which I did write down for our quotes later. I loved it so much. Uh, so back on the discovery, Saru's kind of like, we can't destroy this information. It's our duty as Starfleet to hold on to this information because it's, it's the history of the galaxy for a hundred thousand, for a hundred thousand years. And we must hold on to it. But, uh, and Tyler, who's also there during this conversation begins like behind his back in the way that TV shows always do covert things. (laughs) No one would notice you always having your hand behind your back, whatever. He begins to do the, yes. Oh, what are we talking about here by this extremely sensitive information that could lead to the destruction of our entire species? Uh, He begins the covert download into his little thing. But um, Michael agrees with her mother. She's like, we should destroy this information. And Saru winds up being the only one who thinks they should keep it. Um, And so Tyler is sort of like saying, we don't know what Dr. G's, what what Michael's mom's ulterior motives are. We're not totally sure. But after Pike agrees we should destroy the data, uh, Tyler's like, okay, well, I don't need to steal it then because they're going to destroy it, which is basically the mission that he was supposed to be sent on. Uh, but as Saru goes to try and delete the data, the data, it slips away from him. It like goes and puts up firewalls with a xenomorphic data encryption or whatever. And so the information will not allow itself to be destroyed. And so Pike says, you got to keep working on it. We don't know what's going on with this information, but you need to figure it out. All right? So... I have a lot of paper here because this is crazy. Meanwhile, Spock is reviewing the logs as well. And that's where we find out from Dr. G that Spock's dyslexia, his perceived disability, actually allows him to understand atemporal dysplasia. And so he's the only one who can she can communicate with. That's why she goes to him and he's able to save Michael when she's a baby. And that's why she's come back now, right? Okay, so Spock is the only one who can help. We now find out. Meanwhile, Leland is uh, talking to Tyler now via like some sort of secure line. And Tyler's like, I didn't feel right to do it and I won't do it. And I trust the crew of the discovery. And Leland says, okay, you know what? You made the right call. It's fine. Uh, Which is super weird because I think we all know that Leland is control right now, right? Like he got injected in the back of the head. It's no way he's normal. Okay. So because they only have a certain amount of time left before the red angel has to go, uh, you know, because of the gravimetric pressure, Pike agrees to let Michael go down to talk to her. Uh, but Michael has a theory that either her mother knows more about the signals than she thinks she does, or the signals were not created by the Red Angel. Perhaps they were created by the AI. So the signals are still a mystery. We know who the Red Angel is. We know what her purpose is. We know the big bad is control, but we still don't know where these seven signals are coming from. And that was the whole reason that Pike showed up on the ship and took over the discovery. Okay. She goes down to the planet. There's a cute moment where Spock quotes Hamlet and Michael says, hell yeah, I won't go into it, but it really meant something to me. I got a little for clubs. All right. So Michael goes to the surface. She tries to connect with her mother. What? What? I just love your use of the word for Clement. Well, I was. Okay. And uh, I may have watched it. I may have you know, done a little go back and watch it again and again. Uh-huh. Uh, Michael goes down and tries to connect with her mother, but her mother's like kind of giving her like, the cold shoulder. She's basically saying, she has a quote, I've seen you die a hundred times and I'll see you die a hundred more. I can't hope anymore. So basically she's like, you've got to destroy this sphere data or there's nothing else to talk about. Um, it's only the big picture. 
Michael sort of doesn't believe it, but sort of is believing it, and it's it's complicated. Um, Stamets tells us that the containment field will fail in 45 minutes, so now the ticking clock has become even more ticking And Spock suggests we try a different tack, that we can take the sphere data, right? We can send it into the suit, and then send... Oops, I got so excited, I knocked my microphone over. We can take the sphere data, we can send it into the suit, we can send the suit further into the future than 950 years. That way, control will never be able to access it except in the future. And they call this perpetual infinity, and that's where the show gets the title of the episode. So they can do that, but they can't, they don't have enough power to pull Dr. G out of the time stream unless they use the dark matter rock stuff from that asteroid that almost killed Tilly and gave her that weird uh, friend slash interdimensional infection. And they can use that to boost the transporter, and then they can transport the doctor out of the time stream, and she can be in the present permanently and that is the big plan they're going to try to do while they're hatching this plan though leland is talking to georgia and he's like they cannot he knows about this plan he's like there's no way we're going to let dr g get that information he's saying like dr g is an unknown agent and he sort of convinces georgia that dr g that dr g is supplanting michael's affection for georgia and so he's playing off this uh, heretofore sort of hidden, sort of exposed feeling that Giorgio, the evil Terran Emperor Giorgio, who replaced the good-hearted Starfleet Giorgio, actually does have a motherly style of affection for the good, not evil Michael. And that's confusing, and don't try to think about it too hard because it'll make your head hurt. But basically he's saying, if we let Dr. G stay here, she'll be the most powerful person in the universe. She will supplant you and you will lose all your power. So he gives the device to Georgia and he says, you go down to the planet. And as they're doing the data transfer, you steal it. It will send the data up to the ship and we will be able to destroy it. Because he says, letting Dr. G live, this is important. He says, it poses an unacceptable risk to the larger mission. And Georgia says, well put. I'm doing it. Mm. So she goes down to the surface. She uses cool, badass Section 31 technology to kill the cameras that they have, right? Um, and Doc, they, she, we don't see her do it, but we, it's eventually revealed that she's like set up the little thing like on a case somewhere far back and hidden and it's downloading as the download to the suit is supposed to be happening, right? In the meantime, she keeps Dr. G talking and they have a little back and forth about Michael and they know each other like they don't think that they do know each other but they do do know each other and they both love michael and it's kind of a complicated thing and so dr g asked Giorgio to do one thing to make sure that she protects michael and they verbally spar um and it's uploading to section 31 tyler sees that this upload is happening but leland sees that tyler sees and he says great this upload is happening you watch this and let me know when it's finished and then we're going to get out of the system right away right so it's happening under discovery's noses um, Dr. G, that's right, she got that, she sort of wants that promise from Giorgio. And Giorgio says, well, you may be able to do it yourself if this whole dark matter transporter technology time stream thing works out, right? But Dr. G says, um, not as long as the sphere data exists because the sphere slash control would say that the existence of Dr. G would pose an unacceptable risk to the larger mission. Hit me with a dun-dun-dun. 
we knew something weird was going on with Leland, but no one else did. I mean, Giorgio kind of got a feeling because she's able, she's got very high emotional intelligence, like kind of like Tilly, but evil. Mm. And she now is like, whoa, that's exactly what Leland just said to me. And she kind of puts it all together that Leland is essentially control. While that's happening, Michael and Sam is being down and they're like, oh, we were wondering who killed the cameras. And then Giorgio plays it off. She's like, oh, I just wanted to talk to your mother alone. And then M go uh, M. This is these are my shorthand notes because I was so excited I couldn't write full names. Michael, Michael explains Michael, Michael moment. Okay, Michael, yeah, why not? Michael moment. I mean, that's good stuff. It is good. It's great stuff. It's, it's quality production stuff. right there. Is it's what that is. Quality production by yours truly. Uh, Okay, so Michael explains the plan to her mother. Her mother doesn't like the risk because the idea of like sending it to the suit and then pulling her out, she needs to sort of track it to make sure this, this fear data gets destroyed. But Michael is unswayed. She's like, we will save you. Meanwhile, Giorgio surreptitiously contacts Tyler on a direct, like, secure line. And she says, hey, data stream is at 22%. And what I'm about to tell you will test whether or not I can trust you. And if you betray me, I will destroy you. And then she and Tyler have like a fun little, that's fine. He's like, hey, I've been killed before. You just tell me I'll get to enjoy the ride or whatever. They have a cool little whatever. That's fine. They're both badasses. We get it. Meanwhile, Stamus believes that this thing can work, this dark matter transporter thing. But they only have enough juice to do it one time, of course. So there is a moment where in all this happening, Michael and her mother share a moment. And her mother says, I've been watching all your life. I saw you when you graduated. I saw you when you learned how to do the Vulcan salute. I saw you when you were reading Alice in Wonderland to yourself on your 11th birthday, pretending you were reading it to me and your father. I've always been there. I'm doing this for you. Seeing you, following you, even though you couldn't see me, gave me strength and resolve and gave me something to fight for. It's the reason I have been relentless in trying to stop control from destroying this universe. It was you. So this love. Um, but she says she can't come back now. Now is not the time. She can't come back until the sphere slash control is gone, right? Forever. So Giorgio is able to stop the data transfer because she's telling Tyler she needs to Tyler needs to track down Leland and see what Leland is up. So, Tyler goes into the room where Leland is, and guess what's happening to Leland? His face is open and stuff. <laughs> He's being reconstructed, like, molecule by molecule by control. And uh, before Tyler can, like, get his phaser out, Leland, Leland slash control, we're just going to call him control. Control gets up in Leland's body, beats the living crap out of Tyler. Control Leland. Leland. Control, control Leland. Leland. Controlyland, Controlyland. Have you ever been to Controlyland? Beautiful this time of year. <laughs> um, <laughs> he gets up, he beats the crap out of Tyler, stabs him with some glass, and walks away. Right? Oh, because he sees that the download has been seized, so he's like, Ugh, you know, he's got that old. If you want something done right, you got to do it yourself. Look on his face, uh, and. Tyler is able to send a message even though he's basically bleeding out and dying. So excited, sorry. <laughs> he's able to send a message to Discovery basically telling Discovery 
he's only able to get out the words Leland, right? So now they they know that Leland is the betrayer, at least. And only Jordan's figured out that Controlliland is the entity that is trying to stop them. So Leland goes to the surface. He's got guns aglow, and he kills basically everyone. Everyone except for, it's like a big red shirt massacre, basically, (laughs) at that point. Yeah. He phases a good seven, eight people immediately. And he re-engages the data transfer. Um, and then Spock on Discovery realizes that the, the sphere, the data is being um, subverted by Section 31. And then uh, Michael's mother says, you got to drop the shield. You got to let me go. This is what I feared worse. He's control, right? Leland uses a rifle, some sort of weird super duper rifle that we've never seen before and is inexplicable. Maybe control made it. I don't know. He uses the rifle to shoot through the field into the Red Angel suit, destroying the time crystal, Mm. which is how Michael's mother is able to move about through time. So basically having destroyed the suit. And then um, he destroys the controls for the dark matter transporter business. So now basically everything is, has gone up in flames and nonetheless, Dr. G tells him, you got to drop the shield. You got to let me go. She won't be able to get back, but you know, it's better than letting Leland get this information. Sorry, control Leland. Michael promises to find her no matter what, but I mean, come on, but you know, season three's around the corner. Meanwhile, the fight rages on. It is non Stamets and Michael around Michael's mother. And Giorgio is doing her best to fight Leland, who is basically a super bionic robot, super jacked, super thing. And Giorgio's doing a pretty good job, at least. So they find they figure out that they can destroy the dishes that are holding up the field, and that will allow the anchor to pull the suit and Michael's mother back through time, at least saving them from Leland, who will try to kill them. So they all aim at the dishes. They destroy the dishes. The suit gets sucked up. Michael's mother gets sucked up. Uh, Leland throws Giorgio, but Disco is able to beam up Stamets, Non, Michael, and Giorgio before Leland is able to shoot them. And the plan is to get up on the surface. And then Discovery sends a bunch of torpedoes down to the surface and blows up the entire uh, like lab station, wherever the where they were on the surface. <sighs> So that should be the end. They should have killed Leland. However, um, they picked up a transporter signal from the surface to the Section 31 ship just before the ship took to warp. Also, the ship has masked their warp signature. So there's no way to pursue them. So Leland is in the wind. However, there is one escape pod with a distress signal. It's Ash Tyler, barely alive. Whew. So the little epilogue to this episode is Mike once Michael once again reviewing the logs and she sees her mother promising that she will get back and she will find a way to save Michael and her father. It's the last thing she does. And then Spock arrives and he says, excuse me, I didn't get emotional, but I could have. Spock arrives and he says that Leland got 54% of the data before he had to go. And, you know, Michael's a little despondent, but Spock is talking to her and he's saying, you know, we only have now. And that is our greatest advantage. We can't worry about the past or the future. We have to do something now. We have to be keeping on our toes. He says, instinct and logic together. That's how we'll win. And as he's doing that, he's setting up the three-dimensional chess. He invites Michael to play. She reaches for a piece. And the episode ends. It's one week. One week. And we're on to a new track. 
Oh boy. I can barely contain myself, honestly. I saw that there was a new trailer and I just are like the it's not the trailer, yeah. it's the first thing. I, I I don't know if I should watch it or I shouldn't watch it. I just can't. Did you watch it? No, I haven't watched it. It's tempting. It's very tempting to watch it. But it's I kind of want to just see the whole thing when it happens. It's yeah. only like a week away. Less. Six days. Yeah. Okay. So episode 12. It's pretty crazy too, but it's not as crazy as episode 11. So hopefully we can get through this without me having a heart attack. This is episode 12, Through the Valley of Shadows. So we begin with Michael. Yes. Are you? Okay. I thought you were going to be. Yeah. This is a very good one. It's pretty. It's got some twists and turns to it. Michael is talking to Amanda via like hologram and Amanda's sort of commiserating with her and consoling her about losing her mother. And even though Michael feels that she failed, Amanda's like, you didn't fail. You, you found her, you know, now you know that she's out there, that she's alive, even though she's 950 years in the future. Spock arrives to tell them that they need to, they're needed by, by Pike. And when they get to Pike, they find out that another sign, another red signal has appeared in the sky. Now we know that, Dr. G says she has nothing to do with these red signals. She doesn't know what the red signals are about. So she's like, uh, I mean, whatever. Um, but it's appeared over the Klingon planet of Boreth. Um, for those of you who are playing along at home, the Klingon planet of Boreth is where, whew, a long time ago, it seems like in this season, My Tyler team. and Laurel's, yeah. Two or three episodes ago, probably. Yeah, who knows? Tyler and Laurel, remember they had to, Laurel had to pretend she killed Tyler and that Tyler had killed the baby that she had had with Voke that she hadn't been seen because she had had her uncle hiding it, but they were using the baby as leverage against her to make her not be the chancellor of the Klingon Empire. And so instead of doing that, she pretended to kill them. They sent the baby to the planet of Bereth, which is a Klingon monastery. So, um... Tyler's a little perturbed when he finds out that this fourth signal is appearing over the Klingon planet of Bereth. Um, okay, so uh, Michael really wants to follow Leland. She wants to find Leland. She thinks that the data has to be safeguarded, but Pike is still sort of on target because like, the real mission here was to figure out what these red signals were and what the point of them is, right? All they know at this point is that you know Tyler's able to tell them there's a monastery on Bereth and it's very secluded and no one like goes there and comes back. It's like just monks living out there. They're considered like high mystics of the Klingon empire. Um, Tyler says he can reach out to Laurel and get them passage to this planet. And that's when we go to the credits. Now, uh, I don't know how many people remember Bereth, but that's something to keep in mind here. Um, Disco comes out of warp at Bereth, right? Michael goes to see Tyler because she knew something was up the way he was reacting. And he basically tells her, yeah, uh, Voke and Laurel had a son. So like, you know, remember Tyler basically has Voke in his head. Mm -hmm. uh, and he's like, our son is hidden there. And uh, Michael's like, oh, I wish you had been able to tell me sooner. And he's like, I couldn't tell you. Um, but as they're talking there, Tyler also gets a message from Section 31 saying that a Section 31 ship has missed its hourly check-in. So we know Michael really wants to follow Leland. Uh, obviously, Tyler's going to have to follow Bereth. He gives Michael the hand terminal that has the information about the ship. And he says, be careful. And in the meantime, Lorel arrives. So Tyler 
is going to go to see Lorel and Pike, and they talk about the monastery, and that's when Lorel reveals to us and to all that the monastery is not the only thing down on that planet. It is also the naturally occurring place of time crystals. Excuse me. It is a naturally occurring place of, get ready with the dun-dun-dun, of time crystals. Say what? Say what? Right? Say what? So obviously Tyler wants to go down because he wants to see his kid. And Laurel's like, uh, no, you can't because you'll be putting yourself at danger, our son at danger, and also my chancellorship of the Klingon Empire at danger. So there's no way you're going down to that planet because you're supposed to be dead, right? Pike says, I will go. Um, Laurel says it's very dangerous. People don't usually come back. Klingons usually don't come back, let alone humans. But uh, she says you can go, but a time crystal has never been taken from the monastery without great sacrifice. In the meantime, Michael is explaining to Saru about the late Section 31 ship. And Saru is the acting captain while Pike is gone. And um, Saru is like, all right, great, take a ship. And Mike's like, Michael's like, what? I keep calling her Mike. <laughs> Michael's like, what? And Saru's like, ever since I went through the thing, the thing? Come on, man. What the was the thing? The thing. Vaharai. So ever since I went through the Vaharai, yes. Puberty. Where he, he, he yeah, like predator puberty. Yeah. Predator, predator, puberty. Predator. Eh, the Vaharai is better. So ever since he went through the, we will, the Vaharai. Uh, he's been a little bit more bold. It makes him a different kind of acting captain. So he's like, great, Michael, you go ahead and do that, but please don't let your anger cloud your judgment. Just, you know, do what you have to do. I think it's a worthy thing. Meanwhile, on Bereth, Pike is approaching the monastery and he goes in. There's a bunch of Klingons there and there's one who is an albino Klingon wearing a strange crown. Excuse me wearing a strange crown, and he says uh, he they are the timekeepers there in the monastery. And he refers to the time crystals as the Borgut in Klingon. Did I look it up? No, that I did. Borgut. And Pike is like, okay, we want to trade you for a time crystal. And this guy is like, this Klingon is like, we don't trade for time crystals, buddy. The crystals do not leave these monastery walls. Did you not think, though, that when they had this this conversation and Pike was like, yeah, hey, you know, I want a crystal. I'm not leaving here without a crystal. The guy was like, hey, crystals aren't for sale. You're not leaving here with, with a crystal. But he suddenly just goes, all right, then come and have a chat. It just felt really easy. I thought that they really wanted to ratchet up the drama for Pike. Because just he's always so level headed. It was a little too easy. Well, I mean, Pike's going to go through some business sure. towards the end of this episode. Basically, he's like, they don't leave the walls of the monastery. You know, he's haggling. It's just how Klingons haggle. He's like, all right, well, uh, it's just that the um, fate of all sentient life in the galaxy hangs in the balance. So I'm not leaving here until I get a crystal. And so then the Klingon, the nameless Klingon that we don't know, but who is Albino? No Tabene. Is like, even if you were allowed down to where the crystals are, you could not endure, you were not strong enough to endure like getting a crystal. And Pike says, there's no way I'm leaving without one. And that's when uh, 
as Klingon makes a great quote, he says, they enter with conviction always. They leave broken always. Dun, dun, dun. You know what I mean? As Michael is departing in the shuttle to chase down this rogue Section 31 chip, Spock shows up and he's like, there's no way you're doing this alone because you're in a compromised emotional state and I'm here to help you. And Michael's like, no, you don't have to help me. And he's like, that's all right. We're going together. Michael's frustrated, but they go together. Uh, there's like a little C plot line, which is basically that Stamets is still super moody about everything that's been happening to him, let, I mean, let alone everything happening with control and the sphere and the whatever. But also remember that Q, his former husband, was killed by Tyler when he Manchurian candidated into Volk in season one, but then they found Hugh alive inside the mycelial network when they followed Tillian when she got that weird infection and Hugh came back, but it's Hugh in a, a body that is new, it's even new though it's, Hugh. It's, it's new Hugh, new, new Hugh. Hugh, new Hugh, who dis? And new Hugh is like, even though we were together and I have those memories, they feel like the memory of someone else. And so I'm not into this, this relationship. I need to find my own way. And so there he like, they separate basically. Hugh has been away and Stamets is pretty jacked up over this. Uh, so we see him like kind of being a, a, a mournful, sad hound dog uh, in the cafeteria and everyone's favorite engineer shows up, Jet Reno. And Jet's like, hey, uh, you need to get your head in the game because uh, we're not worried about spore drive right now. Apparently, we're going to get a time crystal and we're going to need to do some time crystal stuff. So get your head in the game, right? Uh, there's a cute moment because it's most it's a lot of the bridge crew up there. And apparently, Jet and the bridge crew have been playing the uh, the auto antonym game, which is a game in which you try to think of a word that means itself and also can mean the opposite of itself. Uh, there's several examples of this. I also Googled them, but that's neither here nor there. Maybe I will write it in my journal. But the one that they do use is oversight. I didn't get it. So oversight means like you're overseeing something. You're doing the oversight, right? Oh, I see. I thought but it was like it can breaking be the up over... of the two words. Okay, oh, you mean no. oversight yeah. as in like you over... Right, I see. You oversee something or it's an oversight. Got it. Yeah, I'm with precisely. it. Precisely. The auto-antonym game. <laughs> That's how Starfleet officers kick back and relax. Dorks. <laughs> yeah, they're super nerds. Whatever. I mean, Wearing yeah. matching clothes. Totally. Um, That's a so, uniform is what that's called. Yeah, and so is this. Um, <laughs> reporting for duty. So, so Hugh comes in and he's like talking with like another group of friends and he's all friendly with people and Sam is pretty upset about it. Yeah. And Jet sees this and she's sort of like, hey, I thought you were over that. And he's like, oh, eat your protein and shut up and stay out of my business. And, and Sam storms out. Meanwhile, Pike is talking with this, this Klingon, this albino Klingon whose name is Tenevik, we find out. And also we find out that Tenevik arrived and was a child uh, uh, with no name. It is the child of Voke and Laurel. Say what? Say what? Because Pike's like, um, say what? Because according to what I just heard, you got dropped off here a couple months ago, bro. And Tenevik is, uh, basically says, well, time flows differently here in the monastery, but the time crystals, good. Um, so 
Rel and Vogue's child is a grown man and maybe is the is running the monastery, it seems like, with that weird crown. In any case, um, Michael and Spock are en route to the ship. And they're sort of arguing about the significance of Michael and the seven signals. And Michael's sort of really upset uh, about focusing on the signals when they should be focusing on Leland. But Spock sort of posits that maybe she's upset about Leland having made her have to give up her mother. And Michael says, yes, she's enraged. And Pac says, rage is the enemy of logic. They drop out of warp where the ship's supposed to be. Debris field. But the debris, it ain't just debris. It's the bodies. Hit me with a dun dun dun. The bodies. It's the bodies. It is, in fact, the bodies of every crew person that should have been on the section thirty-one ship. So they're all out in space, but they are able to pick up one life sign, and so they emergency transport that person into the shuttle. And uh, that person is in like a spacesuit, and it turns out to be Lieutenant Cameron Gant. And they do a quick little flashback for us. Do you want to ask for the flashback? Oh, yes, please. Flashing all the way back to season one, episode one. Cameron Gant was the tactical officer on the Shenzhou. Uh, who we only saw briefly in those that first those first two episodes, uh, before the interaction with the Klingons and Michael's uh, mutiny, and then um, her being sentenced to life imprisonment. So, it's Cameron Gant. They revive him. Michael and he embrace. Gant explains that what it was happening was that he was on the ship and he was trying to chase down a suspicious subroutine in the computer when suddenly the subroutine locked him out of the computer controls and then the ship vented everyone into space, right? Michael and Spock are like, we got to go over there to figure out what happened and, and see if control is in there or something. And they're like, we have to go there, but we need someone who has some specialty with section 31 equipment and so they try to convince Cameron to go back and he's reluctant, but they're like, we need you. You're the only person that can help us do this. And so he reluctantly, oh, so reluctantly, agrees. <laughs> Meanwhile, on Disco, Laurel and Tyler have a chance to talk finally because Laurel's ship is going to stay there until Pike gets back from the surface. And basically they come to an understanding. Laurel's like, I know that you, Tyler, will always love Michael Burnham. I loved Volk and Volk doesn't really exist anymore but I trust you will take do anything it takes to protect our son, as will I. And so that's just a nice little, little bow on that relationship. Okay? Meanwhile, on Boref, Pike is finally led into like a weird bridge room, and he's led past the pillar of the past, which has a glowing time crystal in it. And then he's led to the pillar of the present, which has a glowing time crystal in it. And he says, well, what does it say? And Tenevik says, when the future becomes the past, the present will be unlocked. And Tenevik puts a time crystal key, I guess, into mm. the pillar and turns it. And it causes a big, big stone doors to open. And they're in a giant temple full of time crystals, naturally occurring time crystals. Basically, they walk in there and he's like, listen, you know, Tenevik says to Pike, you can take a time crystal, but... Uh, it will show you something and what you see will be for you alone. And he gives Pike a warning, which is dope, but is long. And so I won't say it here, but I will say it in quotes because it is dope. Um, Pike touches a crystal 
and he's treated to a pretty horrific vision. It's basically him on the on discovery, mm. and the radiation is reaching critical levels, and the ship is exploding, sort of being torn apart. And he gets one last member of the bridge crew out before the like storm door things come down, and he's trapped inside, and he's badly burnt. And then whew, he is uh, in a, in a dark corridor by low lit blue light, and he turns around. And he sees a figure in some sort of like stasis tube, wheelchair, gurney thing. Mm. As he approaches to get closer to it, he sees that it is himself, Pike, horribly disfigured with like burns and so on. But the burns are also like melting. His skin is basically melting off and he's screaming in agony. And Pike who's having the vision screams in agony and he's back in the cave and he goes screaming away from the time crystal. And he's basically almost losing his mind. Right. Mm -hmm. So Tenevik says, listen, if you walk away, you may have a different future, but if you take the crystal, your fate will be sealed forever. That will be what comes to pass. And Pike in true Captain Pike form. Pike says, I will not abandon the future because of a horrible end. Give it to me. And so he takes the time crystal and Tenevik gives it to him. And he has sort of flashes once again as he's touching it of that horrible end. But Tenevik says, uh, I honor you, Pike, mm. uh, for taking this crystal, for taking that burden. So, meanwhile, back on that Section 31 ship, Spock, Michael, and Cameron uh, beam into the bridge of the ship. And um, basically, they're checking the systems, and they find out that control has taken over all the systems, except for maybe one. So life support is reinstilled on the ship, but everything else is under control. And Spock says, okay, I'll go um, try to get some stuff up. And they basically come up... Um, they like start messing around and trying to disguise what they're doing as running a routine diagnostic. And as they do that, the ship boots up and immediately goes to warp. So nothing to freak out about there. Uh, <laughs> in a continuation of our C plot, which is pretty sweet. Reno shows up in sick bay and she says she needs medical attention. She's waving her hand in the air and he was there and he comes over and the medical emergency that she had was a hangnail. Uh, and basically uh, Reno says, like, I need this fixed because it's one of two things that are preventing me from doing my job. The other one is an idiot that came back from the dead and his name rhymes with poo. <laughs> All right. I like it. You I can't like please everybody. Too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Hugh. Hugh. Rhymes Hugh. with pew. Pew. New Hugh, Hugh. rhymes with poo pew. Pew. Uh, so they, they, there's a little bit of a standoffishness there, but then they do bond over the fact that, um, that Reno had been married to someone who was a uh, very micromanaged the wedding. And they talk about all the elements of dealing with their spouse and so on and so forth being married. And then Reno says that her spouse actually died in the Klingon war. Mm. Right. Yep. And that's why, why while Hugh is healing her hangnail. And she says as she leaves uh, that he has a second chance and it may not last forever. And then she pats him on the back as she walks away and says, don't screw it up. So, you know, Reno fixing things. That's what Reno The engineer does. that she is. Yeah. 
bodies, relationships, and ships. Oh, relationships. Oh, I could have made that clever, maybe. Hello. All the ships. Okay, so they are on the the deck of the Section 31 ship on the bridge, and they see that it's plotted a course just outside of Federation space. And the ship systems are completely infiltrated by the AI. So they come up with a plan to build a trap for the AI, basically creating a new location on the ship that the AI will want to invade, will want to control, and then they will lock it in there behind a firewall, and that will allow them to do a hard reboot of the rest of the ship and bring it under regular control. Spock will go to build it, and he has to do it in, like, the main programming room or something. So he can't do it from the bridge. Meanwhile, Michael and Cameron are going to stay there, and they're going to start trying to set up for the hard reboot, which they have to do, like, manually. Spock goes in, sets it up. He gets the control to take the bait, locks it into what they call the the cage. And uh, meanwhile, Michael and Cameron are talking, and... Cameron is basically explaining how he came to work for Section 31. And he was like, you know, and after the the beginning of the battle, I, I was looking for some way to have things work out. And Section 31 basically told me they were trying to figure out ways to come up with strategies to never have to go to war in the first place. And he says, it seemed like it would be possible, especially with control, it would be possible. And Michael hears that and goes, say, what? And she's like, okay, this guy may be a double agent. And so she reaches for her phaser, which she had left next to her as she was working on one of the conduits. And Cameron says, if you touch that phaser, I'll cross the room in 0.8 seconds and break the metacarpals in your hand. And at the end of that statement, his voice goes from normal human to weird computer robot human. Meanwhile, Spock, who's not seeing any of this, is like, why don't we have control of the ship yet? And the ship is like, oh, we've located some nanos that don't be- are not under our control, and they're on the bridge. And that Gant, Cameron Gant, is control. Hit me with a dun-dun-dun. Yeah, that's right. So we had Controly land, and now we have Control Gant. This yeah. name convention not working it's super well. It's Gant is control. Okay, we don't really know him super well, so he can just be Gant. And so Gant wants the control data because if uh, the sphere data, because if control can get the sphere data, then it can be the most intelligent species in the universe, and it can destroy the rest of the sentient life, and it can prevent any wars from happening. You know how computers are; they're so dumb. And basically, control is telling them like, "Listen, I've accounted for every possibility, all the futures." and everything because I can deal with the temporal dysplasia and there is no way that you beat us. And so Michael says, if you can't beat us, then why are you here? And he says, well, that's why I lured you here because you would be a most effective agent for what I want to do. And so Michael has been lured there by control in order to have control turn her into one of its robot flesh bag, nano evildoers. Um, Spock is able to hack the system, get through on the PA, and warn Michael slightly too late that Gant is control. And uh, Gant tries to like hit her the thing, and he's got that weird eye stabby thing, and he tries to get into Michael's eye, and Michael's trying to stop her and stuff like that. Oh wait, no, that's later. No, that was then. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, uh, they exchange phaser fire. There's a big fight. Michael's basically once again fighting against. Remember, she had to fight Arium and now she has to fight Control. She, Michael's always fighting like 
a super duper robot that really can't be beaten by a human, but she's able to sort of hold her own. However, at the end of the fight, she is pinned to the ground and control Gant has the, the weird eye injecting thing. And he's trying to get it inside. He pushes it down. The needle comes out and it's getting closer and closer to her eye. And then Spock shows up. Ha ha ha. And he does the nerve pinch and pulls Gant away, releasing Michael. However, um, Gant control has no nervous system, so the pinch didn't knock him out, and so he like breaks Spock's hand or something, or maybe just mm. twists it. I can't tell. There's it definitely like a, he, he broke it, I guess. A crackling sound, yeah. Uh, and throws uh Spock away, and then <clears throat> Michael uses that time to be able to get a bunch of phaser shots in on Gant, but even though they're like doing damage and causing parts of the body to fall off and stuff, the the nano by his nanobots for lack of a better word are still alive and they're forming into a weird metallic ooze that's starting to ooze towards michael so michael's not getting back spock meanwhile is working on something on a console and he's like hold on and michael's like shooting all the phasers into the thing and it's crawling towards her and it turns into a clawed hand of nanobot silvery things and just as it's about to leap for her it gets slammed to the floor so yes Spock was able to disable it by magnetizing the floor. And that's how, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's very cool. Because machines is machines, baby. Yeah, I love that moment because he was like, I'm sorry I was so slow. Yes, he goes, <laughs> I'm sorry it took me so long to figure out the exact frequency it would be needed to electrify the floor to magnetize it to save your life. <laughs> and Michael says, no, you're right on time. So Spock is able to get control of the ship after they've eliminated these rogue nanobots and they've got the rest control trapped in that uh, cage. And Michael basically explains that like the reason they were lured here so that control could turn her into one of it. If that sentence makes any sense. And Spock has a, a, a novel approach to seeing that he says, Hey, if they needed to turn you, if they did all this to lure you out here, it's because you are a variable that they are unable to, to account for meaning that there must be some way that you're able to stop them. They, they can't calculate what you will do. You are outside of their, their temporal calculations. And so knowing that maybe they can do something to stop it. And maybe it has something to do with Michael. They set back home for disco. Meanwhile, on disco Pike, who is looking a little worse for the wear after his experience down on Boreth tells Arel, we have a raw time crystal. He says, uh, Stamus and Reno are working on it. Pike doesn't tell them the vision that he had. He's like, it's for me alone. But he does say, your son is down there, Tenevik. He's a grown man, and it's where he was supposed to be. You know, this he was meant to be there. And so all this was not for naught. Um, Michael shows up. Uh, there's a different, that's just a, its own scene. Later in a different sort of conglomeration of people on the bridge, Michael is explaining that control can be human now. Well, they sort of knew that through Leland. I, they, I don't know why they needed to sort of reiterate it, but it was, you know, that it can control other people. Um, and as they're discussing that, a Section 31 ship shows up on their uh, sensors. <laughs> and then another Section 31 ship. And then another Section 31 ship. 30 ships in all. Basically, the entirety of Section... Section, section blah, blah, blah. 31? Basically, the entirety of Section 31 ships, Money Penny. Yes, basically, the entirety of Section 31's fleet 
has arrived and is converging on Discovery. Here, so they're completely outgunned. Michael says, listen, we're outgunned. We don't have enough time to work out how to make these time crystals work. We can't run. Even if we could jump and jump and jump, they'll keep following us. So it leaves us with only one option. We have to destroy the information on the ship by destroying the ship. <sighs> yes. And so the last thing Pike does is sends a message to Enterprise. And he says, priority, they need to come here at fastest warp. We're going to evacuate the disco. And he sets the self-destruct timer. And that is where season two, episode 12 ends. Crazy stuff. Insane. Crazy. Whew. I think I figured out the papers. I just had to throw them with both hands. Oh. It's a mess here now. Oh, boy. So boy, there's boy, no boy. real stats, as we were talking about before this, because everything is so crazy. There's nothing f- sort of fitting the normal paradigm here. It's just bonkers, 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 wall to wall. However, there are some cool quotes, so let's hit them with some quotable moments. Quotable moments. Let's do it. Do you have any quotable moments that you would like to share? I didn't write it down, but my favorite, I think, was... I think my favorite was just the sort of the, the witty line at the end when when Spark was like, I'm sorry it took me so long. I just loved that, that was sort great. of I moment. Wish I had written that down. Yeah, yeah, it was a good uh, moment. Yeah. It was a quotable, it was a quotable moment. moment. Mm. Uh, I, of course, am an Uber nerd, so I wrote down like a thousand quotes, but I'll only share one or two. <laughs> <laughs> the rest are for me. Uh, okay, so I very much enjoyed. Um, several things that Dr. Gabrielle Burnham said in episode 11. Um, one of them is to Pike. She says, you're a ghost to me, Captain Pike, one of hundreds of trillions that fill a galactic graveyard. So until you're willing to do what I say, exactly as I say, this conversation is over. And later to Michael, she says, yeah, people think time is fragile, precious, beautiful, Mm. sand in an hourglass, all that, but it's not. Time is savage. It always wins. I mean, yeah, that's a good one, actually. That's good, good stuff. Good call. And then I just like the super creepy thing that Tenevik tells Captain Pike before he touches the time crystal when Tenevik says, A warning, Captain. The present is a veil between anticipation and horror. Lift the veil, and madness may follow. <laughs> and in fact, I believe it, Chap. Mm. Man, those are two good episodes. Yeesh. I feel for uh, you, my friend. You've been working so hard doing these double headers. It's we have one more. One, one more. more double header. That's right. Well, uh, that brings us to our final segment. Yes, it does. Next time on Set Phasers. All right. So there are only two episodes left in season two of Star Trek Discovery. It is a two-parter, single-titled episode, and it is called Such Sweet Sorrow. 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 Um, So, (laughs) season three begins next week, next Thursday, basically, next Thursday night. So in order to get this all done in time, we're going to have to do a very special episode of Set Phasers, mm-hmm. uh, which we will do Sunday. I don't think we've decided on a time as yet. 
We could do it earlier. Maybe like six. Well, yeah, sure. sure. We'll do it like six. Like six. I have to figure out exactly how that works out for a star date, but don't you worry. I've got a rubric. And uh, so, yeah, this Sunday, probably around six or something, you'll know if you're following us, we'll post it on the Facebook. Yeah. So, as always... Thank you for joining us. If you've enjoyed the program, you can catch us usually every Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Facebook Live or as a podcast whenever you like, wherever podcasts come from. Please, if you find us there, rate and subscribe us. It's how people find us. Yeah, we need your ratings. We need your reviews. Please, please give us one. Um, we are on Facebook and Instagram at Set Phasers Podcast, so feel free to follow us and join in the conversation of all things Trek and like our memes. I've, I create memes and things. It's, it's rather fun. You are a brilliant creator of memes. I'm the meme queen. Meme queen. There's nothing mean about that. Okay, if you if you want to support us in our continuing mission to discover what Discovery has in store for us, we would only be delighted. And if that is the case, you can patronize us. We can take it by going to patreon.com slash set phasers. Please, please join us. Well, you can wear a shirt and a bow tie like us. Yeah, I mean, we we don't need to see each other, but we can do it in spirit together. Um, until until the next time, oh dear lord, I am Steph Mans, and I am Aki Burmese, and this has been Set Phasers, a highly illogical, duh, Star Trek highly, podcast. Highly illogical, computer, good lord, end program. <laughs>